What's up, y'all? It's Drewski, and I've teamed up with Mountain Dew to produce a hilarious new basketball podcast called The Dew Zone with Drewski. Learn the backstories of your favorite ballers and celebrities like Jamal Murray. Did you have, like, a favorite team? Was it the Raptors at the time or no? Was the Raptors even started around that time? Come on, bro. I ain't that old, fam. <laughs> You're talking like I'm 50. Taylor Rooks, Asia Wilson, and many more. You won't want to miss this. Listen to The Do Zone with Drewski on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. Take the baseline out. Uh-huh. Here go. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Hardwood Knox Podcast. My name is Dan Favalli, coming at you with my super-duper, incredibly esteemed, awesome-times-awesome, fantabulous, spectaculario, used-to-sleep-with-a-cricket-bat co-host, Andrew D. Bailey. Just want to remind, before we begin, everyone to continue rating, reviewing, and subscribing to us on iTunes. Uh, we really do love when we see those numbers go up. If you've listened to us and you haven't subscribed to us, you definitely need to remedy that. Please, though, consider taking the 10 to 15 seconds out of your day searching Hardwood Knocks on iTunes. Throw us that five-star review. Give us some feedback in, in a comment section. We can also be found wherever podcasts are offered now, including Spotify. So wherever you consume uh, your podcast, you can find us. Subscribe to us there as well. We're going to talk about some kind of hot takey stuff that we're already buying into uh, after the first week of the season, essentially. We're not being purposely bold. These are actually things that we believe, so you, you should hate us to the core if you disagree with them. You shouldn't tell us that we are chasing attention because we believe these with all of our hearts. Uh, I know Andy was tearing up as he came up with his. But before we dive in, we have to ask, Andy, how are you doing? I'm doing great. Um, I'm not. I'm not sure I can fully endorse the intro today. Um, in the interest of honesty, I, I feel like my takes are um, lukewarm. Is that uh, is that an appropriate approach I've taken today? I would say no, but we're going to find out <laughs> anyway. These are well, more just like observations that might have something maybe we weren't expecting to such a degree. Like, or at least for me, that's how I approached it. It wasn't like, you know, the Knicks have played hard, so they're going to win the championship this year. But just stuff that's kind of caught me off guard, even if I was expecting something good or bad, depending on the hot take. Isn't on your list, huh? No, that's unfortunate, but what are you going to do? Yeah. Um, Um, I did want to ask you, though, before we got started, what do you think about this whole, we talked about this a little bit um, right after the Pistons-Sixers game which was awesome, by the way, on Tuesday night. But what do you make of this whole uh, Rajon Rondo and Chris Paul debacle? Um, I don't I don't feel like it's all that surprising. I think both of these guys have been in the league. I, I know they've both been in the league for over, the de- over a decade. But I was going to say, I think they both have um, – things that translate through the TV that makes it pretty obvious why certain teammates like them and certain teammates don't. Um, They both seem fairly abrasive personalities (laughs) and, and for them to bump up against each other uh, and then for it to escalate to the point that it has, I I, I guess I'm just not all that surprised. I think some of the reactions 
from other players and former players is is almost more interesting, like the Ryan Holland stuff and the Glenn Davis stuff. Um, has anybody really spoken up in defense of Chris Paul yet? I know there's been some people rushing to Rajon Rondo's defense. I'm wondering if Chris Paul's any rallied any has rallied any troops for his cause. Not that I've seen, but it's to me I, they're both seem like they've been really crappy teammates in the past. Their track records are just some of the things. Uh, the way the Clippers were with Paul there. For most of his tenure, it seemed like they were joyless. DeAndre Jordan was going to leave in 2015, at least in part because of him. Blake Griffin and him always kind of clashed. Didn't seem like he ever really liked Austin Rivers. Uh, Rondo basically froze out Ray Allen while he was in Boston. He was exiled from the Dallas Mavericks. He went after Jimmy Butler and Dwayne Wade uh, in Chicago. To me, it just seems like they're definitely grading, but star power can be grading. If you look at you know, Kyrie Irving leaving Cleveland because of LeBron, or if we want to go back further, Michael Jordan punching Steve Kerr in the face. It's, I don't know if people are more wanting to defend Rondo because he's not a star anymore, but like he just clashes. I mean, he clashed with Wade and Jimmy Butler It's a, a, or Ray Allen. It's always these big names. And it's the same story with Paul, basically. I mean, Austin Rivers really isn't a big name and I'm not necessarily defending Paul, but it's, it's it is kind of interesting, I guess, that he hasn't had people come out in defense of him. I don't know if that does make him a worse teammate, but if I had to be teammates with one of them, give me the guy who's going to give me a chance at winning, and that's Chris Paul, who's just objectively a lot better than Ray John Rondo. Yeah, there's certainly no question there. Um, Paul is the better player. I I would recommend if people haven't seen it, Dan wrote a good article about the histories of both of these guys as teammates. Um, just Google Dan Favalli Bleach Report and you can find it. But one thing I was thinking when I was reading your piece was, and you mentioned some of the player versus player clashes that Rondo's had, like, you know, Ray Allen and Jimmy Butler and Dwayne Wade. But I think a lot of his clashes over the course of his career have come against coaches, which I wouldn't be surprised if that actually endears him more to fellow players. Um, because for a lot of athletes, it's like us against the coach in a lot, a lot of situations. Um, so I wonder if a lot of his teammates <laughs> liked him because he was the one who was willing to, to be confrontational with the coach. Um, I don't know. That was just one thing that stood out to me when I read that piece. I mean, that's, that's possible. That That's actually a really good point that I never really thought of it that way. And when he was in Chicago, the, the whippersnappers kind of just rallied around him. And it, it, it yeah. did seem like everyone was in the majority if you didn't like Dwayne Wade and, and Jimmy Butler. And uh, we've we've certainly learned more about Jimmy Butler's leadership um, style in the last month. Definitely true. <laughs> it's interesting how winning can warp like the perception of it. I Because I do feel like Chris Paul's just personality has been painted as this this drive to win he's just such a fierce competitor and he wants to be perfect so he wants everyone around him to be perfect and then rondo has just been portrayed as this irritant or like ju- just like cast off because the the game kind of passed him by he never really reached that superstar level that there was that brief tenure uh toward the beginning of his career where you thought maybe he would enter the best point guard conversation 
And so maybe that's unfair to him in just certain respects. I just, I, I don't know. It's Neither of them seem like particularly good teammates. Uh, it does seem like James Harden likes playing with Chris Paul, though. Mike D'Antoni likes coaching Chris Paul. And, and something that kind of just stood out to me in that piece was one of the Clippers players told Kevin Arnovitz when he did the profile, on them that yeah cp3 is a pain in the ass but there's no one i'd rather go to war with and i'm not sure i've never really heard the same thing about rondo just it, it like from a, a competitor's standpoint that there are just there are listless efforts from him you see it on the defensive end national tv rudge on rondo was is could like will forever be a thing I, I, that doesn't necessarily excuse it and maybe the, the billy kennedy incident uh might kind of taint how I look at Rondo when he hurled anti-gay slurs at him. And also, Rondo's never really seemed, even the way he carried himself after the the fight with, with the Rockets, uh, Brandon Ingram apologized to his Lakers teammates. Paul apologized to his Rockets teammates. Rondo's up there saying, I don't need to explain myself to anybody. They know who I am. It's just, to me, he to me, and I know it's different for you, I find uh, Rajan Rondo much more difficult to like than Chris Paul. Yeah, and I don't. I think you probably have a lot of people who agree with you. Um, I bet you could probably get some of those Celtics players, like Kevin Garnett and Paul Pierce, to say stuff like that about Rajon Rondo. But he certainly hasn't made a ton of fans, especially over the last like five or six years. I, <laughs> with Chris Paul, to me, one of the first things I thought when that fight happened was, I, I'm a little surprised it doesn't happen more often. <laughs> the way that he plays, I mean, he's constantly whining and grabbing people and um cheap shots and (laughs) every single thing that doesn't go his way there's a temper tantrum afterward and um I don't think Harden's near as bad as Chris Paul in that way but I can also see why he's frustrating to play against so when Brandon Ingram shoved him while it was seemingly for no reason I also thought when I saw that that (laughs) This this might just be bubbling over from a guy who's had to play against James Harden a few times in his career, and he's just sick of it. Um, on that particular play, I don't know if he had much of a gripe because it did look like he fouled him. I know a lot of people said that James Harden lowered his shoulder, shoulder and kind of ran him over, but I, I think I've seen much worse antics from Harden, too. I think it was just sort of a, a boiling over type of a moment. Um, but, yeah, long story short, I just feel like with the way that those two guys play, especially Chris Paul, I'm surprised there aren't more um, legitimate confrontations like that. Yeah, that's that's kind of definitely sort of true. Brandon Ingram, it seems like he was pissed off that entire game. He, he spent time def- defending CP3 as well, and to do that yeah. against both Harden and Paul. The final question on this, I will ask, or just for confirmation, whether it was deliberate or not, spit came out of Ro- Roger Rondo's mouth, right? I'm pretty sure, but I think even the super slow-mo, like, amazing angle uh, video replay that I'm pretty sure the NBA relied on, that wasn't, like, 100% evidence to me. The one that you saw that Rachel Nichols tweeted out? Yeah, maybe I need to look at it again. That angle, I'm not – I think it it looked deliberate to me. It it looked as if he was – he, like, looked around to make sure – that Jason Phillips had kind of walked away and then just it looked like the movement from his throat with his lips that it was voluntary. Um, there was- but again, I can't say definitively whether he did it on purpose or not. Something definitely came out 
of his mouth, even if it was an accident. And there were people who saw that video and said they couldn't see anything. And the people that couldn't see any anything, I'm not even talking about intent, but to not oh. even see it was mind-blowing to me. Yeah, never mind. I'm looking at the Rachel Nichols video now, and as it zooms in closer and closer, there's something's going on there. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, okay, I, yeah, I got to amend my statement on that. I just watched it again. Something definitely came out. <laughs> this, is, this is a real-life lesson being learned by Andy That's, from the cameras. You just got to examine all the evidence. Well, Spick came out, and it's just important, I think, that people acknowledge it, even if they don't want to say Rondo did it on purpose. But that is not the hot take that we are looking to get into today. Um, I'm going to throw it. I, we each pick five, I believe, unless you went went off the rails and picked like 20 or something. But I've got I've plus some backups in case we have some overlap. Overlap is good. I just didn't. You know some of mine, so I didn't want you stealing them. Oh, I didn't. Um, I know you were a thief in a past life. You did have some good ones. I'll start us off. Um, I'm going to go – I'm going to say the Celtics do not have enough, enough offense to be a contender this year. That's my hot take. What What say you? I mean, they, they are 29th in offensive efficiency after four games. I – that is hot. You said lukewarm, and then you start with this. So props, props to you. I was scanning my list, and I thought I, I got to come out as hot as I possibly can. I guess. Yeah. So we don't actually know what the other picked. You have a general. Maybe you know what I picked. You have a general idea, at least. I didn't. This would. I never would have guessed that you said this. I mean, they're so they're 29th in offensive efficiency through the first four games. They're not getting to the free throw line. They're dead last in free throw rate. I. Oh. I would have to say, if you said the Boston Celtics are overrated, I'd probably go with you. But to say they're not a contender, there just seem to be certain things on the offensive end that will normalize. Uh, Jalen Brown, Al Horford, Jason Tatum, and Kyrie Irving are all shooting 33.3% or worse from beyond the arc. I have to believe those numbers are going to rebound in at least three or all four of those instances. And we have to remember that Gordon Hayward kind of just came back, and the rotation's weird because uh, he's on a minutes cap. Uh, Terry Rozier has kind of seen his minutes fluctuate. Marcus Smart a little bit too, and maybe it's going to just take this team in general uh, some time to find its rhythm. But I don't think they're the best team in the Eastern Conference, and that that might segue into my hot take. But I. For them not to be a contender, what does that mean to you? That there's just no chance of them coming out of the East? Um, I'm going to say there's no chance they win the title, which probably isn't quite as hot. And I don't think they come out of the East. Well, I mean, I, I would give them a chance to. Um, I think Toronto is better. And I think there's a chance Milwaukee might be better too. I With the, the coaching upgrade that they – went through this summer I think there's a chance that they're pretty good too I'm relying at least in large part about this take um on some numbers that we talked about last season too the offense I think there are flashy offensive players on this team like Kyrie Irving and Jason Tatum mm-hmm. I mean they're good but it's it's a lot of reputation with the Boston Celtics once you get past Irving Tatum um 
I guess, or Hayward to some extent, there's not as much top line offensive talent. And actually the guy who I think might've been their most impactful offensive player, but isn't as flashy as as those other guys is Al Horford. And I was just, I pulled this up right before we started recording last season when Horford was not on the floor, the Celtics offense was in the 15th percentile one five Um, really, really bad. Their defense was still, I mean, their defense is good basically regardless of who's on the floor. And that's that's a big strength for them. But I think it's pretty rare to have a team um, that's top tier on one side of the floor and below average on the other that's a real contender. I think you have to – I mean, ideally you would like to be top five to top ten on both sides of the floor. You might be able to get away with it if you're like first on one side and around the middle on the other. But if you're – if you're top five defensively and you're like 20th to 25th offensively, that that's just not a title contender to me. That's certainly fair. And I, I would say it's hot takey to already say that the Celtics don't have a chance of winning the title just because I think most people build them as the second best team in the league or the biggest threat to the Warriors after the Rockets offseason and what they did didn't do slash lost. I, I, you I can talk me into it. Uh, Zach Lowe made an interesting point on his podcast that the Celtics are deep and they have all these really good players, but you don't, there's no one on the roster who's that top eight, top 10, even top 12 player who can, who can in theory be, or supposed to be the best player on a championship team. They're kind of in that regard, while they do have star power, they, they are still betting on this squad being greater than the sum of its parts. And we have to remember, Jason Tatum's a sophomore. Jalen Brown's only in his third year. Terry Rozier's kind of a wild card. Uh, Some of their most prominent components haven't really developed their star power. And yes, that's a good thing. If you look at Jason Tatum, there are people who will argue that he'll eventually turn into that top 8, top 10, top 12 player. There are people who try and argue that Kyrie Irving is there now. He's not. Uh, Gordon Hayward was probably peaked at top 15 in Utah, top 20 around there. During his final season, you know I love Al Horford, but he's just not that player. And so that could be an issue for them. I just kind of look at the talent and expect the offense to come together. It will be interesting, though, if the number of shot creators that they have sort of betrays them. Uh, Just because you look at everyone, Irving and Hayward and Tatum and Brown and Rozier, and it's all these guys can create, even Horford. A lot of them can play well off the ball, but they're going to need their touches the one thing I will say, though, is that according to Cleaning the Glass, their starting lineup has an offensive rating of 91.2. And so that's baked out garbage time to this point. I don't even know if they've played any garbage time yet, that starting lineup. I don't think they have. And they, they haven't been used that much, but I have to believe that the offense will come up there. And it's the same story when you take out Hayward and put Marcus Morris in there, the resulting five-man unit uh, has a 93.3 offensive rating and, and actually has been destroyed on the defensive end too, which is just ironic that you make that one swap and that's what happens. So small sample sizes we're dealing with. I would expect the Celtics to be closer to a championship contender than not though. All right, let's hear your first. Uh, Maybe hot. I think mine's less hot takey than yours. Um, and I'm, I guess I'll combine the two because it kind of dovetails. The Toronto Raptors are the second best team in the league. 
I would call them, if you wanted to just go by regular season record, I, I think they're going to finish with the best regular season record unless the Warriors really turn on the Jets. And the Milwaukee Bucks, this aligns with yours. They're going to get the number two seed in the Eastern Conference, which I guess to me makes it seem like the Celtics would get number three. For the Raptors, I've been just... First of all, I'm like I'm never going to stop standing for Kyle Lowry. It, that dude is just good. He's he can be a bulldog on the on the defensive end. He's late getting to some of his spots or when he's on closeouts, but he works so hard. I texted you this the other day. He might have the most subtle pull up three pointer in the NBA. It's just so nonchalant. Pascal Siakam has been great for this team. Kawhi Leonard has been worked through some rough patches through his first uh, through. I think he sat out of games so his first three games, but he's looked good uh, defensively. He's been there, and the Raptors to me, while, while they have the the sixth best offense in the league right now, uh, their defense is eight uh, seventh, and I I think it's only going to get better. I have never seen, or excuse me, I haven't seen yet any team adapt their defensive approach relative to the personnel on the floor so precisely other than them it's it I'm not saying it changes a great deal but when you have Siakam playing with Ibaka they're defending a little bit differently than they are when Ibaka's by himself or when Jonas Valanciunas is by himself and just to be able to make all those mid-game adaptations and to just be so deep you know Fred Van Fleet's been good uh, they haven't had the luxury of Dylan Wright Yet. And that might be their their biggest weakness to date is that the when you take Kyle Lowry and Kawhi Leonard both off the floor, they're struggling to score, which you which you would expect, obviously. But once you have Dellen Wright back and he's playing and he's full strength and he's playing with Fred Van Fleet again, you can see a path to that bench sort of being dominant once more. And and so if we're talking about teams that might be able to win sixty games or more this certainly looks like one of them and that it's come together so quickly. Uh, th- there's plenty of roster continuity from last season, but you added Kawhi Leonard and, and you really just didn't miss a, a beat. And uh, the, the defense to me, the offense might get better as well, but the defense has an even higher ceiling than the, the sixth place ranking, uh, the seventh place ranking, excuse me, they hold right now. And I misspoke. They're fourth in offensive efficiency. I was looking at the the Bucks when I was giving those numbers before. They're fourth in offensive efficiency, and I feel like they could be a lot better. And just, you were talking about it before, they could be one of those teams that are going to rank not just in the top five of both offense and defense, but but maybe in the top three with time. Yeah, to me, uh, I, I this isn't super hot to me. Um, I think the Raptors are the, and we've talked about this in a bunch of different episodes. I've been on the Raptors are the best team in the East basically since the moment they traded for Kawhi Leonard. Um, I felt like the DeRozan to Leonard upgrade was was pretty significant. Losing Pudel wasn't, Pudel, Pudel, I need to work on my umlaut pronunciation. Losing him wasn't great. Um but I think the, the with the way that they're going to play, they're they're just fine. They're starting Ibaka at the five. Now they have Valanciunas in that backup five role that Poodle um, occupied last season. And then you have all these super switchy guys that can play two through four, a bunch of guys who can play three and four. Um, this is one of those teams that seem to be a year or two ahead of the positionless basketball wave. And now it's paying dividends for them. Now they've they've got a bunch of these guys that are wanted all over the league that have 
pretty varied skill sets. Um, and I think most importantly can guard a bunch of different positions. Um, again, two through four guys like Siakam, Danny Green, Kawhi Leonard, um, OG Ananobi. You can trust those guys in all kinds of different matchups. DeLon Wright, even who you talked about, he's, he's not a two through four, but he's maybe like a one through three type of a player. Um, so they just have so much versatility on that roster. And I'm with you. I think I've, this is another drum I've been pounding for a couple of years now. I don't think people realize how good Kyle Lowry is. It's kind of funny the pushback I get when I, you know, talk about him on Twitter or post his stats or whatever, get so many like LMAO, he sorry type of reply <laughs> or LMAO. Did you catch the last playoffs or whatever? Um, the analysis on him, I, I guess I shouldn't call it analysis. Maybe the fan reaction on him is almost bewildering to me. He's been so good basically since the moment he, he showed up in Toronto. It's It's been six or seven years now. And if you look at numbers, um, basically from his arrival in Toronto to now, the efficiency type stuff like box plus minus and wins over replacement player, those kind of numbers – He's been a top to ten, top ten to fifteen player in that time frame. Um, he just doesn't, he doesn't quite put up the kind of numbers that that I think most people are looking for for a top ten to fifteen player. And it's kind of odd that the perception of him hasn't gotten better because I agree with you. One of one of his most impressive skills is that pull up jumper. And that's something that seems to catch a lot of people's eyes nowadays with most players. For some reason, it just hasn't with Kyle Lowry. Um, and he's he's just been on fire this season. They've only played four games, but he's averaging 22 points, 10 assists, um, shooting 60% from the field, almost 60% from three. Obviously, a lot of that stuff's going to regress a little bit. But this isn't that far off the kind of player that he's been the last couple of years. I mean, a guy who averages – High teens and points, close to ten assists. He'll he'll end up with a true shooting percentage around sixty again. I'm I'm almost sure of that. Um, so he's I think he's probably still in a lot of ways the engine, but of course a huge part of this is the acquisition of Kawhi Leonard. Um, and like you said, he had a the first game or two, and it, it's only been three, so maybe the adjustment is still happening. Um, looked like a little bit of a rough start. But if you look at his overall numbers, he's he's already rebounded from that. He's shooting 46% from the field, 47% from three, averaging 26 points. Um, he's taking 20 shots a game, which would be comfortably a career high. I wonder how long um, he'll stay at that level. But this is a roster that's built, I think, really, really well to, to cater to him and to allow him to take this many type of shots. They've got a bunch of guys who've shown over the last couple of years that they're okay being, you know, number six, seven, eight, nine on a depth chart. Um, and it's, it's going to be Lowry and Leonard's show. And they, they just have so many solid, solid role players after that. I, I, I'm not even, to me, they're clearly the best team in the East. Um, I was a little bit hesitant between them and Boston at certain points in the summer, but I think, a lot of my fears with Boston, a lot of things I was excited about with Toronto are, are sort of showing up already. A hot take, a, a better hot take would have been Kyle Lowry will lead the league in assists because I never saw the, the 10 assists per game coming and he's spreading the ball around. He's not really getting those by delivering it to, to any just one player. And he's averaged, let's see here. 
yeah, he's he's generally around seven. So yeah, that is that is a very big jump that he's made, and I'm sure it'll come back down a little bit. But uh, he's had some fantastic assist games here early on. What say you about my Bucks take? They're going to get the second seed in the Eastern Conference. I don't think that's crazy either. They look really good. Um, I, Giannis isn't even like his typically efficient self yet, and they're still undefeated. Chris Middleton is shooting the lights out right now. Um, they're moving the ball in a way that I, I think we probably all expected um, with the switch from uh, Jason Kidd and Joe Prunty to Mike Budenholzer. I, I don't I don't think that's super crazy either. Um, a lot of people would probably be surprised if Boston doesn't finish in the top two, but it wouldn't, it wouldn't be all that shocking to me. The Bucks' shot profile is just ridiculous compared to last season. They averaged last year per 100 possessions. They averaged 25.2 three point attempts this year. They're at 38.6, which trails only the Houston Rockets and Dallas Mavericks. <laughs> that sounds about right. And, and, and those kind of adjustments, I, I don't think a lot of people realize how much of a difference that can make. No, it's huge. Middleton, especially, is shooting almost 12 three-pointers per 100 possessions. He's never been... Yeah, the fact that he's just chucking, I think that's huge. And he's, yeah, he's never been that type of player. He's always... He shot the long too well. It was a situation where you could criticize him for it, but he was one of the few players that if you're going to hit them at close to a 50% clip, can you really gripe about it too much but also you should probably criticize the coach in those situations too if you've got a player who's consistently hitting like 18 footers I think it's up to the coach to say hey let's move you back a couple feet yeah uh 100% there and they're I don't know if they're going to be defensive uh world beaters but they're they're more disciplined on that end of the floor now too they're not giving up as many just easy shots. There will be breakdowns around the rim, but they're covering the three-point line a little bit better. They're not fouling as often. And so when you look at where they are right now and you see that the Bucks are seventh in defensive efficiency, I, I think they could comfortably finish in the, the top 10 there. And if you're going to pair that with uh, in, in offense, that still probably has some room for growth and it's already sixth uh, in points scored per 100 possessions. They're going to be a scary team. And and when you're looking at candidates right now of squads who could finish in the top five of both offensive and defensive efficiency, I struggle to come up with anyone beyond golden state and Toronto. And my pick would be Milwaukee as that third team. I think I'm, I'm trying to see if there would be another squad that I picked. The Celtics would have been a team that I might've selected before the season, but you pointed out a lot of stuff about their offense and who knows how well that will change or how much that will change over the course of the year. And there just doesn't seem to be a, another candidate out there. I mean, the Sixers maybe, but their defense has been disappointing to this point. Uh, the Jazz might have been a team there, but their offense has just not rebounded or has not matched uh, even last year's efficiency. And they're kind of struggling there as well. So uh, the Bucks might be, if you had, if I had to pick one, I think they'd be the third candidate to go for that top five pairing in both offense and defense. One more little bow to add on top of the uh, Raptors conversation. Since Kyle Lowry joined the Raptors, he is seventh in the NBA in wins over replacement player um, over all those seasons combined. And his true shooting percentage in that 
time frame is 57 and a half. If you shorten the sample even more to just be since the 2015-16 season, Lowry is fifth in wins over a replacement player with a 60 true shooting percentage. The only players with more wins over replacement player than Kyle Lowry uh, since the 15-16 season are Russell Westbrook, James Harden, LeBron James, and Stephen Curry. That seems good. He's he's so much better than people realize. Um, all right, my next hot take. Um, the Timberwolves aren't going to trade Jimmy Butler this season. You are coming out guns blazing. You told me you had lukewarm takes. Uh, here's what I... <laughs> I don't... So this is, this is kind of what I was alluding to at the beginning of the podcast when I said I'm not 100% sure on a lot of these. I wouldn't be shocked if the Timberwolves trade Jimmy Butler. There's a real hot take coming out of my mouth right now. (laughs) Um, But I could see Tom Thibodeau being stubborn enough to play this thing out over the course of the entire season. Um, And I think Jimmy Butler's stubborn enough to go along with it too. Um, (laughs) I think he's showing some of his stubbornness by – you know, he said, I'm not going to miss any regular season games. So this this could be just an entire season played, played out of spite uh, for Jimmy Butler. <laughs> and it, it's pretty obvious in the first couple games. One of the things that we heard come out from that crazy practice um, towards the end of the preseason was he yelled at somebody, you guys can't win without me. I think it was maybe at the general manager. Um <laughs> And there certainly seems to be something to that. The on-off splits with him were huge last season. I'm sure they're going to be huge again this season, especially for a team that I don't think is is very deep. If you take Jimmy Butler out of this equation, obviously a lot of this would depend on what they got back, but um, you're suddenly more reliant on Andrew Wiggins and rookies like Josh Kogi and maybe Keita Bates-Jop. Um more minutes for Derrick Rose at the wing, who's actually been pretty decent to start the season. But I would I would kind of hold my horses on on whether or not to believe if uh, that's going to it won't <laughs> sustain. <Go ahead. laughs> um, but yeah, if you take Jimmy Butler out of there, it it could collapse pretty quickly. And I'm sure Jimmy or I'm sure Tim T- T- Tom Thibodeau knows that. So I think he's going to be stubborn. I think he's going to want to win as many games as he can this season, and maybe as he searches for a job um after this Timberwolves one he can say hey (laughs) we had all this turmoil with the Minnesota Timberwolves but look what I did I still won 48 games uh I still made it to the playoffs um on and on and on I, I I think there's a chance that the stubbornness makes this thing last all season long it would be great if it did I do wonder if we would get sick of it after the trade deadline though and you know there's no imminent end in sight and that you kind of have to wait for the summer before a resolution is, is reached. The anticipation right now is sort of half the fun. Where will he go? What will he get for them? Will, will Tibbs ruin another deal? <laughs> that was, that's the other thing too, is it seems like they had a trade. Um, did you read, did you listen to that most recent love post with Rachel Nichols? I did. She was saying that they were, they were doing the medical work on that deal. Like it was done. Um, before they pulled out. So that's another thing that makes me think if he's, if he's driving this hard of a bargain um, with really very little bargaining 
power to speak of in this particular situation, there's a chance. Um, it just it just might be really really difficult to make a deal with him right now. Mark Stein of the New York Times reported, I think that deal was Kelly Olynyk, a first round pick, and Josh Richardson. I'm not sure what else the the Timberwolves are trying to extract out of that deal that they wouldn't you do that? Maybe I, objectively, Jimmy Butler's worth more, but given the situation, I don't think you're getting more. I don't think you're getting more than that either. And both of those players are good, plus a first round pick. I just, what are you, Kelly Olenek is a good player, but now all of a sudden you have him and Gorgie Jang and Taj Gibson, at least for another year, and Carl Anthony Towns, and now you're paying so much money to big men. It, that, that's just a weird fit. But again, I don't know that there's going to be a better offer. And there was, uh, Brian Winhurst of ESPN said that the Heat are still interested, uh, in addition to the Mavericks. Clippers and Rockets, I believe, were the other teams. And the Clippers are of those three teams are really the only one that could beat that Jimmy Butler offer. And that's only if they really wanted to, which when you have cap space this summer, I'm not sure why you would want to. I don't know if I'd want Jimmy Butler around my young guys, if I was the Mavericks either. I don't know what they were giving. I mean, they have, if they were going to give Tibbs, Harrison, Barnes, um, there's also Wesley Matthews. They have the salary matching fodder, but what are the sweeteners? They owe a pick this year to Atlanta, top five protected. You're not trading Dennis Smith Jr. or Luka Doncic. I don't I'm, – I'm just curious what their offer looks like. Maybe Tibbs wants to play uh, Dennis Smith, Jeff Teague, and Derrick Rose together, one through three. That would be, as far as his approach goes to coaching, pretty innovative for him. <laughs> uh, uh, I will – uh, let's he does look small point guards. Remember all those guys at the Bulls? Aaron C. Brooks. Hudson, yeah. Nate Robinson, Aaron Brooks. Yeah. He, here would be my question. Let's say you end up being right and that Jimmy Butler stays in Minnesota the rest of the year. Do you think he's really going to walk away from a five-year, $190 million contract offer? Um. Yes. I don't think that – I feel like we've learned in the last few years that that – you know, 40 or 50 million in one extra year sounds like a ton to us, but for, for whatever reason, it's not really enticing these players. And maybe it's because they know I'm going to make, I'm going to end up making 150 to $200 million over the rest of my career anyway. And I'm going to have a bunch of endorsement deals. I'd, I'd rather be happy and playing somewhere. Right. I want to be, um, I mean, at what point do you reach an amount of money that's that's just like incomprehensible? You know what I mean? That number though is just so large, and for someone, if but what's the like? What's the difference in your real life um, between yeah, okay. you know thirty or forty million dollars? It, it may, might last an extra generation or two, but I, I think you got to be <laughs> uh, dangerously irresponsible to ever run out of you know, 130, 140 million dollars. But if financial security, long-term security is a big deal to him, he's going to be entering his age 30 season. I don't think he's going to get if he's traded, my prediction would be he's not going to get the 5-year max from the team that acquires him. And yeah. on the open market, I'm not I guess he'll get the full 4 years from somebody uh with that 4th year player option. No. I'm not you if you told me he didn't, though, if it was a three-year deal or if he signed it under the max, that would not shock me. That would certainly change the equation. 
if he does test the market and the best offer out there is from say the Clippers and it's a little bit below max and it's three years long, then, then yeah, you would probably have to consider the max from Minnesota. That was, uh, you came out scorching. I'm, I'm proud <laughs> of you and ashamed of myself. I'll move on to my third one. Uh, Nikola Jokic is going to uh, fin. Go ahead. Go ahead. Um, I, was just, I had a Jokic one too. Nikola Jokic is going to finish no lower than third in MVP voting. That's hot. Okay, That's good. Great. I'm glad. I'm glad I finally piqued your attention. Uh, <laughs> Nikola Jokic is a monster. He's just out of this world with, and the way he, when you watch him play, I don't want to use the word effortless, but it doesn't necessarily seem like he's overexerting himself. Everything he does. It's just so casual, but it, it's so dominant. He's averaging over 20 points per game, seven assists, 10.5 boards, uh, shooting, slashing 61.2%, 50%, and uh, 82.4% shooting. Uh, those are his slashes right now. And he's only playing 30 minutes a game. <laughs> right. That was going to be my next point. I mean, and he's taking, he's barely taking 12 shots. He's he's tied with Jamal Murray for the, the for second in shots per game on the Nuggets. They're led by Gary Harris, which is fantastic. I the, I'm just I'm watching the Nuggets and they weren't they're I mean they're not particularly deep or at least they don't look like they are. Um they're dealing with the injury to Will Barton now. You kind of thought their wing ranks were going to be a problem. Here they are though. They're getting some nice minutes from Juan Hernan Gomez. Tory Craig, uh, Monty Morris played well. Monte Morris played well against the Warriors the other night. They just seem like they're going to be there and be a problem in the Western Conference. And if they are going to be a problem in the Western Conference, I have an insanely tough time believing that Nicole Jokic will not be sky high on that MVP ladder. I know long shots seldom win the award, if ever. Um, when you always go back to those preseason betting odds, it seems like the winner was in the top five or top seven um, of those those lines Nikola Jokic was not this year and I, I that doesn't bother me in the slightest the, the Nuggets are scoring almost 120 points per 100 possessions when he's on the court and here's the thing that stands out to me I'm not saying he's dominant defensively he has gotten so much better if when I'm watching him if he's already there around the rim or if he's already in space or on a player he has a chance and it almost doesn't you know you don't want him going after, you know, switching on to Stephen Curry, but he's not getting beat as easily. The help defense is still a little bit slow, but if he's there already, he can hang or he can make the right reads if he has doesn't have to come over from a distance. And so if you're going to get, again, not going to be this uh, prevent, uh, he's not going to prevent a ton of shots at the rim. He's not going to block a ton of shots at the rim, but if he's going to give you what could be close to league average defense from that position to me, just watching him play, and the Nuggets are only allowing 99 points per 100 possessions when he's on the floor right now, 99.6. If he's going to play that type of defense, he's instantly one of the 10 best players in the NBA. Uh, and you could might even be able to make a case that he would be higher than that if this offense keeps up. We can expect the efficiency to drop, but there's no reason his style of play, the, the, the assist numbers aren't going anywhere. Uh, he's exerting himself more as a scorer, if he wants to take those, you know, we talk about how you need to take more threes, but if he wants to take those kind of 15, 16 footers, they're always going to be there for him. And he's one of the players that I would be okay with shooting that shot. So 
I think he's just the Nuggets are going to be better than expected, and he's going to just be a a big reason why that's happening. The other thing I found interesting for him is he's shooting sixty nine point two percent from floater range between three and ten feet. Just that was just a random little caveat. He to me is we're I don't know what the hot take would be beyond the MVP. If it's definitely a hot take to say he's a top ten player, but that he would be by the end of the year, just because people probably didn't consider him a top 25 player entering this season. And he certainly was, he's just really good. And now that the nuggets sort of seem like they're going to put themselves on the map, that's going to do wonders for his MVP credentials. Well, I had him top 10 this summer. Uh, You may be shocked to hear that. I didn't Um, even have him that high, but he's, it was uh, lineups.com had me do a round table with a bunch of other writers where we just listed our top 10 and I had him number eight there. And I think there was one other person in that group. I think it was like an anonymous scout or something had him in the top 10 and it was out of like 20 people. Um, so it was, it's, it wasn't a common take this summer. I, it's probably not still um, a common take right now. My, my Jokic, uh, hot take for this particular podcast was that he's the best center in the NBA. So I think we can combine um, yours and mine for this discussion. Top three MVP candidate, though, I cannot go that far. Not necessarily because I don't think he'll he will uh, deserve that by the end of the season, but just because the popular opinion of him, um, I think it's still going to be a constant. <laughs> back and forth between uh, the so-called numbers crowd and the so-called eye test. I, I think that that could define his career. How for do another. you watch Nicole Jokic and not see that he's dominant I, at this point? I don't get either. Um, I think it's because I, I think there's a few aspects to it. He doesn't move like a typical <laughs> NBA <laughs> star. Um, the way he sort of meanders up and down the court on some possessions um, he's never above the rim, which is certainly something that that casual fans like to see. He's not like this super flashy ball handler who will pull up off pick and roll threes like a Stephen Curry or Kyle Lowry. Um, but everything he does is just so, so solid. One, one area where he is flashy and where I'm maybe a little surprised um, that casual fans haven't latched onto him more is with the passing. His <laughs> forget the vision uh, and the accuracy of his passing, which are just incredible. The flair on some of his passes is just amazing. Um, the over the head stuff, the uh, lookaways, the little pocket passes, full court transition type stuff. He's got it all, which at his size is just insane to me. Um, when you first brought him up, I, I just pulled up the Nuggets basketball reference page. He's already got 1.1 win shares this season through four games, which would have ranked around the middle of the league for all of last season. Um, four games in. Oh he's just he's off to a ridiculous start. He only played in, I think he played like 23 minutes last night. Um, but one thing that really stood out to me, and you mentioned it, was him in that floater zone. Two years ago was when his advanced numbers really took off. Um, and a large part of it was his shooting percentages from that three to 10 range. And from like 10 to 16, he was just ridiculous. Those came back down to earth a little bit last season, 
But now he's he's looking like the guy who just cannot miss from that like three to ten or three to fifteen foot range. He had a bunch of moves last night. Um, he just throws up these little flip shots from five feet away, and I I don't know if I've ever seen the basketball hit the net softer. <laughs> it's it's crazy um, the amount of touch that he has, and <laughs> if he's going to be hitting those shots at the ridiculous rate that he is, and and passing the way that he always does, he's he is definitely in for a monster, uh, monster season. <laughs> those numbers that you rattled off, those would be insane for any player. 23 points, 10 and a half rebounds, seven assists, one and a half steals. The fact that he's doing it in 30 minutes a game is just uh, ridiculous. A lot of this stuff is probably going to regress to the mean a little bit, but this is not like wildly, um, this is not wildly off of what he's done over the course of his career though i mean the per possession and the per minute numbers um he's he's basically been near this for for most of his career so this if he can keep this up for the entire season this slight uptick from from what he used to be doing i think he'll probably warrant top three to top five consideration for the mvp but i just i don't think he's going to get it just because it's still an award that's you know it's voted on by the media and a a big chunk of people who are still more into the traditional way of analyzing players do you know what number from his performance this season stands out to me more than anything when you look at his permanent production and i'm losing my voice excuse me what's that his free throw attempts per 36 minutes are 10.2 which would be more than double his career high. He's his he, shot attempts overall for 36 minutes are down, but it does seem like he's just being more aggressive when he's right around the basket, really trying to go up with the ball. And if he's going to get some extra free throw line opportunities, there's not necessarily a reason his scoring should dramatically dip. The efficiency is going to come down, but just the volume with which he's accumulating these stats, I, I don't think they need to decline or suffer a, a, any sort of real measurable setback. Did you uh, you saw who ESPN had projected to be number one in RPM this year, right? I did not actually. It was Nikola Jokic, which threw some people for a loop. Um, they, I think they released that maybe a day or two before the season, and and this maybe gets into my hot take that he's the best center in the NBA. Um, he was first among centers in real plus minus last season. Joel Embiid is second, who I think is the guy that a lot of people might say is the best center in the NBA. Um, now that Anthony Davis is a full-time center too, he's yeah. obviously in this conversation as well. And I think it's probably a bigger, it, I, I don't think, it is a bigger stretch for me to say that Jokic is better than Davis than to say that Jokic is better than Embiid. Um, and, and I don't know if I'm super ready to take that leap. Um but I think Jokic's impact on an offense, to me, when I watch Rudy Gobert, I think you could put him on any team in the league and you're probably going to have a top five defense. Um, and that's kind of how I feel about Jokic offensively. And I still think uh, offense carries the day a little bit more than defense does. So his value on the offensive end, um, the way he elevates teammates and, and just when he's on the floor, they're, they're an offensive juggernaut. Um, his counting numbers are what they are, 
but it's the impact that he has on the team that makes me think that there's he he has a very very real argument to be the best center in the league. I would not put him over Anthony Davis, but to say he's better than Joel Embiid would not be a stretch to me at this point. Defensively, Embiid's definitely harder to play off the floor, but what yeah. Nikola Jokic does offensively, I I would say at this point does exceed any value that Joel Embiid brings on the defensive end or in any one area of the game. Yeah, I mean, the, the difference in efficiency and uh, passing, I think, is is pretty huge between him and Embiid. Monstrous, even. <laughs> All right. So you did the last one. Um, let me let me look here. I think we're on your third one, right? Yeah, I've been very impressed with your hot takes, by the way. Um, okay, so now I'm, I'm I might be down to mostly ones. Oh no no no, this one is actually kind of hot. <laughs> um, this might be Carmelo Anthony's last season in the NBA. <sighs> I statistically speaking or or rather functionally speaking it wouldn't surprise me but i could wherever lebron is i could see the, the lakers throwing him a, a veterans minimum contract i could see the rockets just bringing him back um that that just wouldn't i, I would i would be floored if he wasn't in the nba next season just be i'm not saying he's a good nba player but i would i would be floored if he's not he's he's had such a um, his reputation has been so big for so long that I think it would probably shock a lot of people if he wasn't in the NBA. And this is, again, maybe another one that I don't <laughs> believe wholeheartedly. But um, here, here's kind of my thinking. He, To me, he objectively hurt the Thunder last year, basically took wins away from them. He certainly did in the postseason. Um, and the rapid decline of his efficiency for the last few years, it's, it's pretty eye opening. And I'm going to, I'm going to compare him <laughs> to a name that may shock you. Oh no. <laughs> In 2015, 16, he had a very, very good box plus minus 2.6. Then it drops to minus 0.7 in 16.7, then down to minus 3.8 in 17.18, which was one of the worst in the league. And it's going to get better than this, but right now it's minus 8.3, which is just, you, you can't survive um, on those kind of numbers. Now, here's another player who was at the top of the league for a decent amount of time and very, very quickly lost it and found himself overseas. Um, he wasn't, I mean, he wasn't as close to the top of the league as Carmelo Anthony, but he was a multiple time all-star. Stefan Marbury, um, third to last season, had an above average box plus minus. <laughs> Second to last season, it drops to minus 1.7. His last season, it's minus 7.3. Every once in a while, we see players where it it falls super, super rapidly. Um, and at least, you know, number and trajectory-wise, it's looking very, very similar for Camelo. He's probably banked enough goodwill around the league over the course of his career. I mean, this is a guy that's made um, nine or ten All-Star games. So it's certainly a little bit different conversation. He's he's still one of the top 15 to 20 scorers ever. Um, somebody is still going to give him another shot in his age 35 season next year. I'm not sure they should. In fact, I'm pretty sure they shouldn't. Um, <laughs> but that's 
that's where I'm at. I think this one might be my hottest of all. I mean, it's it's certainly up there, but it's there's some credence to it just because if he's going to shoot, he's shooting 20% from three right now. If he's not going to look comfortable in, an, in a Rockets offense that once it stabilizes is going to generate a bunch of easier looks for him, then yeah, that that's a real problem. But that that's... Yeah, that's an interesting point. It does seem, for all the knocks against Melo, it does seem like he's just lost it really quickly. And maybe that's just because he's not equipped at all to be in that complimentary role. Sort of like we look at Andrew Wiggins, where he should be, and it's he looks more comfortable in as a featured option than he would as someone who's spotting up or maybe being used as a role guy or, or a cutter. So At this point, if you put him in a featured role, it might be even uglier, though. Right. That's, uh, I mean, that's, that's fair. Well, because Melo's ancient. It's, I, <laughs> again, I would be, I think you described it correctly. I would be, there will be a team that gives him a shot. Uh, he's still a big name. And I would think as long as Chris Paul and LeBron James are in the league, that that team would probably be able to carve out space on a minimum contract for him or, or something. Um, my last hot take before we get to your last hot take is the Pelicans have a legitimate shot to finish the season with the NBA's best offense. And if you made me force me to pick where they'll fall, it's going to be hard for me to pick against the Warriors in the grand scheme of things. I would say second or third. Uh, they'll have no worse than the a top three offense by season's end. They are playing fast. They look really comfortable. Um, Nicole Miritich is not going to shoot 80% on pull-up three-pointers for the rest of the season, which is actually the number that he's been shooting to this point. But they're just getting good performances from anyone, and, and nothing other than Miritich's scoring output and efficiency seems especially untenable. Anthony Davis is Anthony Davis, and he's just a monster. And he's not even shooting too well on his face-ups this season right now. There, there's a chance that maybe he gets a little bit better from a, a shot creation standpoint. Julius Randle has been really good for them. His efficiency might dip a little bit, but he's been terrifying off the dribble. They're getting... Good minutes from Alfred Payton. Uh, Drew Holiday's been playing fairly well. Etwan Moore has been really good for them, too. And when you're looking at their offense and how fast it's playing, it doesn't look like it ever needs to slow down. And maybe that will impact their defensive standing uh, over the course of the season. They're up 16th in points allowed per 100 possessions right now. But they have the personnel to where they can play close to average defense and then just focus on destroying you at the offensive end and, and looking at their, j- just their players. I mean, you have Anthony Davis, who's now at center and he can, he can play fast. Um, having Nicole Miritich, who this, him being good is not news. He was great for them last year. Uh, Julius Randle, three point shooting has kind of surprised me a little bit. And by a little bit, I mean a ton, uh, 50% on 2.7 attempts uh, per game. That, but he's just he's doing everything that uh, he did for the Lakers. You're not going to see him orchestrate orchestrate as many offensive sets, but he's a big man who can get up and down the floor. And so when your three primary bigs are guys who don't have a problem getting up and down the floor, and you're relying a lot on all these different guards um, or smaller wings, whatever you want to call Etwan Moore, but Peyton Holiday, um, Etwan Moore, they can play this type of offense. And there were even traces of it last year after Demarcus Cousins was injured. They they tried to play a lot faster and it worked out for them. And right now, this isn't the number they're going to finish at, but they're scoring, this is via NBA.com, 122.2 points per 100 possessions. Just three games, 
but this offense looks absolutely terrifying. Yeah, I could definitely buy that. Um, Is that hot enough for you, though? <laughs> sure, As, given the fact that the Warriors are still in the NBA. Um, but, I, yeah, I wouldn't be shocked if I saw that, to be honest. Alvin Gentry, uh, he started his – I don't know if he – I actually don't know if he started. Um, but he was – he sort of cut his teeth as a head coach with that Suns team right after Mike D'Antoni. Uh, that was obviously a, an offensive juggernaut with Steve Nash. Um, and he's doing it a little bit differently with this team because the focal point is Anthony Davis and, and not Steve Nash. But the pace um, is there. The the emphasis on threes is there. And while Nikola Miritich is probably going to cool off um, Anthony Davis is probably going to cool off. He's not going to shoot 59% from the field and 75% from three for the entire season. Um, Julius Randle probably cools off. He's not going to shoot 50% from three all season. There's actually some of their more established shooters have a lot of room to improve. Um, Etwan Moore is only shooting 27% from three right now. That's going to go up. Drew Holiday is zero for 11 uh, from three right now. That's going to go up. Um, Darius Miller's only shooting 33% from three. That's going to go up. So while some of these guys who are off to ridiculous starts are going to cool off and some of the other guys heat up a little bit. And this is a team, um, that is absolutely going to be in the, the conversation for one of the best offenses. Um, when, once DeMarcus Cousins went down last season and they sort of threw themselves into this Alvin Gentry Suns philosophy, they were one of the better offensive teams in the league last year. Too. So I, I'm, I wouldn't be shocked if they ended up number one. Can I give you a bonus hot take that you don't even need to respond to? It's just a one-statement hot take about the Brooklyn Nets. Let's hear it. D'Angelo Russell is their fifth or sixth best prospect. Yeah, I don't know if that's hot right now either, which is... <laughs> For you, it should be because you were so high on him. But Levert, <laughs> Dinwiddie, Allen, and calling Dinwiddie a prospect might be a little generous or mean, depending on how you want to look at it. But those three are clearly ahead of him for me. I'm more interested the to see. The bandwagon is on fire, and I'm trying to extinguish myself as yeah, I jump off. I'm more interested in, in Musa now and um, even even Kurik's. I'm Just the way he shot the ball, too, early on. Those That is my – I guess it's become a tepid take, but it should be hot relative to your preseason <laughs> expectations. Um. All right, you ready for my last one? I'm sitting down, so that means yes. <laughs> I'm going to reaffirm something I said a couple podcasts ago. Um, how how are you feeling about JaVale McGee right now? Please do not. I will, <laughs> I will cut off this podcast immediately. Um, JaVale McGee is averaging 15 points, 7.3 rebounds, 1.3 assists, and three blocks in 23.3 minutes per game. Those averages per 36 minutes are 23 points, 11 rebounds, five blocks, two assists. Uh, his true shooting percentage is all over 65. Um, first on the team in box plus minus. First on the team in win shares per 48 minutes. First on the team in PER. <laughs> um, his most recent game, he played 28 minutes, which I think is is – very, very interesting to me. If he averages 25 minutes a game, right now he's at 23, I think his average is going to be close to a double-double, and all eyes are going to be on the Lakers all season long. Um, 
LeBron is obviously going to be their best player. But I think the further we go into this season, the more people are going to be scratching their heads like, why is Michael Beasley playing? Why is Lance Stevenson playing? Uh, why is Rajon Rondo playing? Um, were we too early with the Brandon Ingram hype? Were we too early with the Kyle Kuzma hype? The one guy who's going to be steady, he's going to get a lot of blocks and a lot of rebounds this whole time, he's going to put up crazy per-minute numbers, is JaVale McGee, your favorite player. I, I'll, <laughs> I'll give you this. He's way more important to the Lakers than he should be. <laughs> <laughs> I, I will agree with that. Um, he's, he's in a role where, yeah, it's, it's probably bigger than it should be. Um, that's certainly not his fault. They, they built a really weird roster, and it's gonna, he's going to put up numbers just because of that reason. He, uh, I, and he's been active. And of having watched their first three games, all losses, um, their de- their defensive rating just plummets when he's off the floor right now, which is scary. Uh, they they decline by their defensive rating gets worse by eighteen point one points per one hundred possessions. So <laughs> I, it's I, if Javale McGee is your defensive anchor, I just I don't I don't even know I, I don't even know what what to really say at this point. He's He's been playing well, but if you're going to be reliant on him to continue playing that well all year, your team is probably not in the best shape. Here's the thing, though. (laughs) Here are his per 36 numbers prior to this season. Um, In the three seasons prior to this one, so Dallas and the two Warriors seasons, he averaged 20 points, 11 rebounds, and three blocks per 36, shot 63% from the field. he just he didn't play a lot on those teams. It was obvious why on the Warriors. Um, but now he's in a situation where he has to play a lot. And I don't, I don't think those numbers are going anywhere. Um, this number is pretty notorious for the way that it favors big men. So you got to take it with some significant salt. Um, I've been drinking the entire shaker since you started talking. <laughs> but since... Uh, since the start of that Mavericks campaign for him, his win shares per 48 is 0.204, which is 16th in the NBA over that span among players with at least 1,000 minutes. Now, <laughs> above him is Ennis Cantor. So, we, 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 like I said, take it with some grains of salt. Number one is Boban Marjanovic. Um, long story short, what I'm saying is he, he doesn't have the highest basketball IQ. Um, he can't really shoot jumpers, but if, if he's going to be on the floor, he's going to get blocks and he's going to get rebounds and he's going to get dunks. Um, and he's going to be in the most watched team in the league this season. And I think that's all that stuff could equate to some most improved player votes. Give me a, where's he going to finish on the ladder? <sighs> um, all right. I'm going to stick with, well, he was my sleeper pick, wasn't he? I'll say number three. That is still way too high. I can't wait till he wins. I, I'm going to give all the props to Shelby, your wonderful yeah. wife. I'm not. I'm not. I'm not giving you any of the kudos. <laughs> you have any uh, bonus ones you want to throw out there? Like the Jazz are going to miss the playoffs or finish with a bottom five defense or anything like that. <laughs> I can't go with either of those. Um, Just trying to my you. for Ben Simmons being better than Joel Embiid which we've talked about Denver, I think can be better. There's, there's a lot of individual three point percentages that are going to go up a lot like the Pelicans 
like Gary Harris and Jamal Murray, their shooting numbers are going to go up. So, so Denver could get better offensively. Um, then the only, I didn't really have anything for this one, but I, Blake Griffin is back. Um, (laughs) I don't know if that means MVP conversation. I don't know if that means he's not going to get hurt. Um, but he's, I, I, it's probably worth mentioning the start that he's gotten off to this season. He's been spectacular. What he did against the Sixers on Tuesday, just everything driving to the hoop, face ups, three pointers. The man is, the man is still good. And it's, uh, the it's M- just, yeah. Yeah. It doesn't even need to get, we don't even need to go deeper into it. He's still just really good. And the NBA's passed him by to some extent because of what you, you really can't play him at the five and expect to have an okay defense. But you look at him on offense and while his jump shot takes forever to be released, he's he's still kind of this modern playmaking big man, and, and he's really good. If he has room to operate, um, and the Pistons are hitting enough of their threes, uh, he's he's going to be an All Star in the Eastern Conference. I know a lot of people didn't think he would this year, but I think it's pretty clear that he's going to be an All Star in the East. The playmaking with him is huge. I don't I don't think a lot of people realize that he's probably one of the top ten uh, big man creators of all time. Um, <laughs> if you look at some stuff for like six, 10 plus players uh, sorted by assist percentage, like he's always near the top. He's up there with guys like Tony Kukoc and Nikola Jokic and Bill Walton. Like it's, it's pretty rarefied air. Um, his playmaking ability. Anything else? No, I was, again, I am very happy with your hot takes. I believe they probably exceeded mine. In heat, I thought about going that one of the Thunder or Jazz were going to miss the playoffs this year, but that felt like me really being too reactionary, and I didn't want to make you mad this early in the morning, you know? <laughs> um, if you have any hot takes that you want to share with us or you want to tell us that ours were crazy, you can find Dan on Twitter at Dan Bailey, F-O-B-A-L-E. I'm at Andrew D. Bailey. The show is at Hardwood Knox. The sponsor is at NBA underscore uh, math as always rate review subscribe to the podcast um apple podcast is i think where a lot of people listen and, and we're obviously available there but now we're also on spotify so we've we've gotten a lot of tweets and messages over the years that are like hey i, I don't have an iphone or i don't have an ipad how do i listen to you guys and there were options like stitcher and um blog talk radio but i think spotify makes it basically available to anyone nowadays so even if you don't have any sort of apple products you can listen to us on spotify or you know whatever other podcast platform you use uh if you have done all those things like rate review and subscribe be sure to share the show with your family and friends we sincerely appreciate all the support and until next time we leave you with the shout out to benna udry and kyle anderson sugar ray leonard roberto duran marvelous marvin Hagler, and thomas hearns Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime.